0: Hey Greg
1: hey it's been a while has <laughs> been a while again, <laughs> <laughs> but you know you've been getting ready for a wedding, and I've been getting ready for things and um this summer we 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 had a very busy summer, both of us, and now the busy summer has turned into the busy fall um and even though we've seen each other lately, we haven't really been able to get together to do this thing in a in a little while
0: yeah and I want to assure that our I, I can see what our listeners are thinking oh, I can see it coming this is the beginning of the end right this is when you know the podcasts that come out every week and then every two weeks and then once a month and then oh, there's not so much and then they they disappear that is not going to happen to this podcast <laughs> I can promise you is just It is a particularly busy time, because like you said, I'm getting married in you know, two weeks in my mm-hmm. day, and uh, it's also been a little bit of a dearth of content, shall we say? Yeah. Um, in like as far as movies and stuff, which oftentimes bring us together, and I think that we both have some ideas or mulling over and working up to some big stuff, because I'd rather put out a quality you know, episode rather than just do something for the sake of
1: doing it. Yeah, it's, there hasn't been much this summer, you know, in the the kinds of movies that we would want to talk about. And honestly, and I, this is, I feel like a part of things, kind of the decline in service and pending collapse of MoviePass has made it harder to like take a chance on some movie that just might be fun to talk about.
0: Yeah, like Predator. It's like, oh I go see Predator, but I'm not gonna pay thirteen bucks for it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, or deal with whatever weird um like you can only see it on the third showing of this particular Saturday if you ask us really, really nicely. Like so yeah, I just been haven't haven't really wanted to take a risk on yeah, the Predator. (laughs) Right.
0: So which I heard was Okay at best. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So, anyway, but I have been into some things uh, that I'd like Mm -hmm. to, you know, get off my chest. So, I was very sick this past week. Uh, I was home from work, and I essentially binged most of the second season of Luke Cage, uh, which I had started, but then sort of, you know, watched an episode, then watch another one, but then like didn't really stick with. But I figured, you know, I I feel like garbage, and what what better to do when you're feeling like garbage and sit on the couch and watch some TV? Mm-hmm. Uh, I will say that the second season of Luke Cage is inconsistent. Hmm. There are things I really liked about it. I thought that they made some very weird decisions when it comes to the pacing. I will also say that, like a broken record that I've been for the past, I don't know, four versions of these... Uh, I will say that I think if it was like 8 or 10 episodes, we would be in a better spot than 13 because, once again, it's like, ooh, we are heating up, things are things are going places and then it's like, oh no, we're on episode 7. We are only halfway through. And, uh, yeah, so, Netflix, just, just shorten them up a little bit. I don't, you know, probably makes it easier for you. <laughs> I, I just, I don't know. Um, don't feel tied to this 13 episode format. Um, I will say that, you know, the character of Luke Cage and and his supporting characters, particularly Misty Knight, are really cool. The actors playing them are great. The show still has that great feel of just really embracing, you know, black American black culture, mm-hmm. both in sort of like an old and new way. You know, being based in Harlem, you have all these, you know, they they base a lot of scenes out of the the club, you know, Harlem's Paradise, and you've got rappers, but then you've got jazz and you've got blues and all this different stuff that just is just such a celebration of, of all this all the art that came out of that area uh, across you know decades um, the main villain was Bushmaster uh, as well as you know continued annoyance by Black Mariah or Mariah or whatever or whatever they call her that in the show so I guess I can call her that um <laughs> Bushmester was pretty cool, actually. I enjoyed him. I, I think that the way they sort of paced out his story was weird again. And I will say that the show, he's, like, a Jamaican character, and they deal a lot in, like, Brooklyn, like, Little Jamaica and, like, you know, East Indian culture, which is, like, a, a cool, like, underrepresented, uh, like, aspect or area of, of black America. That's really interesting. And But I will say that they are very hard to understand. <laughs> like, it just the accent, and even more than... It's almost beyond an accent to the point where it's, like... Even beyond a dialect, where you're almost like you're listening to a different language at points. Yeah. Um, so, a lot of subtitles are used for me. Uh, although, it doesn't always help because they're, like, writing out the... Almost, you know, pronunciation of the words as opposed to, like, what they're saying.
1: Right, so it's not a translation, it's just the... A- the phonetics.
0: Right, exactly. It's like, this <laughs> isn't always helpful. Um, but it was still pretty cool and interesting storyline. And uh, I will say, though, that there was an episode, you know, spoil, very minor spoiler, where Danny Rand shows up, mm-hmm. the Iron Fist himself, the immortal Iron Fist, defender of Kun-Lun, uh, defeat or whatever his title is that he always says. And A, they did a good job of, like, picking on his character nonstop the entire episode, which was good because it's just goofy and funny. But that whole episode was really cool. And it's like, you should have just made a Heroes for Hire show. <laughs> you should have just yeah. done that. Because they have such a good dynamic. And there's also an episode with uh, Colleen Wing and um, Misty Knight, which is, you know, they're the daughters of the dragon from the comics. And once again, like, man, these characters are awesome together. And, like, just make a show that's, like, the four of them just going and solving crimes and, and beating down people. And it would have been very cool. Yeah. But I I would recommend it. I think it's worth watching. The ending is very weird. I'm not sure how I feel about it. There's a lot of, like, very heavy-handed symbolism referencing different movies and past things. But uh, I'm not sure where they're going with it. But, you know, it's one of those things where I'm kind of committed to this because I would say they don't come out that often, so it's not a big commitment. But we are now getting our fourth Netflix show this year. Yeah, it's four because we had Jessica Jones in the spring. Luke mm-hmm. Cage out the summer. Iron Fist came out last week, two weeks ago. Yep. And Daredevil comes out in three weeks, four weeks.
1: Yeah, they just put out the first trailer that I, have, I haven't I have watched. But it's yeah. like,
0: it's not really a trailer. It's kind of uh, just like a...
1: Just a reminder that Daredevil is a show.
0: Right. Um, so uh, I guess there's a little teaser at the end of Iron Fist, they, like post credit scene at the end, which is very hard to do on Netflix, by the way. Not a good model for the yeah. reference because it yeah. basically railroads you into skipping the credits most times um yeah so anyway uh I have also started Iron Fist 2 I'm only a couple episodes in and I will say that like I didn't I I would never say it's a good show but the first season of Iron Fist I didn't hate every aspect of it Mm -hmm. and so far I'm really enjoying this This, the supporting characters of Iron Fist are sort of what drives the show because Danny Rand is kind of boring uh, at least this interpretation but um so far it's, it's pretty interesting and they let him use his fist like more than once every three episodes so it's actually like oh yeah he's a superhero i forgot <laughs> uh boy, why isn't he just you know daredevil essentially yeah um not blind daredevil but it's it's fine uh they're setting it very much in, like, rooting it in Chinatown, which is kind of an interesting um, setting. I like, you know, everyone's got their neighborhood, which is kind of a fun way of being a person who really enjoys New York City. Mm -hmm. Uh, I enjoy that aspect. So, um, are you planning on watching any of the Netflix shows in the future? I don't
1: know. I don't know. I'm... None of them are really reaching out and grabbing me. Like, there's nothing... There's nothing about them right now that really seems interesting or new or different. Like so much of what I'm seeing from trailers, and and I'm not studying them very closely. So this is just, you know, as they drift past my vision, I just I feel like at least what I'm seeing from the trailers is more of the same. And it's not that I didn't like the previous seasons like I feel like they were good but I also feel like they were all just kind of long and a slog and it's not like when one of these shows comes out I'm like I cannot wait to sit down and binge this it's almost like oh (laughs) now I gotta get through 10 hours of this it just I I don't know and 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 maybe it's the nature of you know Netflix releasing the whole season at once instead of you know i almost feel like if i watched an episode a week it would i'd be more into it Mm -hmm.
0: yeah i understand that and i agree like this is the probably the first time this year where i didn't immediately watch you know binge the whole season of all these shows yeah and part of it's i think just like for me just like where I'm at a certain point in life where just like I just don't often have large chunks of time to, to binge these things and I'm usually doing it by myself, so um, that time is limited. But yeah I I uh Yeah, I mean I, I think there's cool stuff. I think that the the villain ish there are a couple of villains, but um they have one of the main characters, one of the main villains in Iron Fist season two is Typhoid Mary, which I'm not particularly from with, but she's sort of got like um uh, her characters like got disassociated personality disorder or yeah. whatever. And, uh, that's kind of like an interesting storyline. Cause I think one of them is good and one of them is bad, which is like a very interesting take on a villain. Um, but yeah, so we will, we'll, we'll give it a go. I've, I've heard that, you know, this season is much improved and I do think that I said it, I think just as recently as last episode, so I was listening to it recently, uh, was just that like I think that all of these shows they just need to do a different model, and I think that the the comic companies in general they need to invent something new for across the board. I just think that trying to focus on individual characters that sometimes cross over it worked to start, but I just think a Marvel Netflix presents, and yeah, you bring that you know, and then like maybe jj's in it for two or three episodes and then someone else is in it for another three you know and like the stories ebb and flow based just like in comics you know people show up and then they leave they got something else to do and maybe things happen at the same time you know you you split back and forth and they come together i just think that there's a middle ground between jessica jones season eight and defenders season four you know i mean i think there's a middle ground between that you could do something cool that isn't it's a little bit of a disruption to the current model that hasn't been done yet.
1: Yeah. That's an interesting idea. Like where one episode might be a Jessica Jones episode. One episode might be a Luke Cage episode. Another episode might be daredevil and iron fist going on, you know, some kind of mission and maybe there's a thread that ties them all together. Um, And, but I think that that's a great idea that would solve a lot of the problems with these, where once you get kind of all the heavy character stuff out of the way in season one, where, you know, Matt Murdock goes on his emotional journey and becomes daredevil. And we learn about his past and who he is and how he struggles. And then it's like, okay, where do we go from here? Because if half of the show, right, if every episode you've got 30 of your 60 minutes are about who Matt Murdock is, now I go and I do another 10 episodes, I've got to fill half my time with something because <laughs> we already know who Matt Murdock is. But if we just cut that out and, like you say, like give each character like a quarter of a season of solo stuff because cause then you can just focus on the adventures and the action and we don't need to spend as much time going back over their childhood and their relationship with their dad.
0: Right. And I think, like, like almost, like, anthologizing the, sh- like, almost, like, you're taking the two extremes. You're, you're building a shared universe, but, like, almost anthologize that shared universe where, you know, let's, like, over a couple seasons, you work towards a Jessica Jones and Luke Cage relationship because that's a very iconic thing in the comics. And, you know, like, they get together and they have a kid and then they don't like they don't aren't together and like that you know these kind of like modern things and you know the we saw some really you know defenders wasn't a perfect you know season of television by any means but we saw some really interesting dynamics and people playing off one another you know the i always people talk about you know jessica jones's reactions to basically all three of those characters it's just it's great you know it's such a good foil to like Mm -hmm. daredevil and it's just like nice horns right like why why are you so weird basically and i just yeah there's just so much i won't use the word like the shows are like overly dramatic or overwrought because i think that's like diminishing a lot of what they're trying to do but you know each of these characters really does bring something to the table i think but i think it's most obvious when they're Placed in context of one another and what they care about and their moral values, which are all, they're all heroes, but, you know, they have a slightly different viewpoint based on their lives, and that's good. That's a three dimensional character, but they're supporting characters and trying to sort of make these into fully fleshed out shows is just, I don't know if it's working 100%. Yeah,
1: I would agree. I would agree. I would, I, I think you're. Half your half anthology, half team up show, it would be much more entertaining to watch. Yeah. I, and I, I think
0: that the, the universe they built for this, like, Marvel, Netflix, New York City sort of atmosphere is like pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they did a really good job visually and, and like, kind of, and some of the other, like, context for, like, defenders of, like, oh, like, when she's on the screen, there's a lot of purple motifs. And when he's on the screen, it's a lot of yellow motifs. Like, mm-hmm. you can do that and then mix it up a little bit. And, I just think that we can sort of go halfway and, and make it work. But what do I know? I'm just a guy on a podcast. Yeah. So another thing I've been doing the past uh, two weeks and we will be continuing is it's concert season. It's the fall mm-hmm. concert season. Is that what it is for most people or is that just a metal thing?
1: I don't know. I mean, generally, the conventional wisdom is bands don't like to tour in the winter. Because, um... Uh, I mean essentially it's more dangerous right? you know you're dealing with icy roads I mean at least in this part of the world um, and people are less likely to want to come out on a Wednesday night when it's 30 degrees (laughs) to come to a show so yeah I would say that summer and fall are probably heavier um, touring times for most acts so yeah it's probably concert season
0: and I guess summer is like festival season, yeah. you know, not as not as big in the U.S. anymore, especially for metal. Uh, considering that, I mean, Europe's big festivals area, but so I guess what do we even have anymore? Maryland Death Fest, yeah. Prague Power, which is in the fall. It's not a lot of big, you know, like all, a lot of the big festivals kind of die. I think this was last year for Warp Tour, and Ozfest is dead for however many years, and Gigantor hasn't been around in what. Five eight years something like that. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so I saw last weekend or last week I saw um, Winter Sun and Nay Obliviscaris. Mm-hmm. And uh, do you listen? To, you listen to you probably. I know I made you listen to Nay Obliviscaris once <laughs> or twice. Do you ever listen to Winter Sun?
1: Um. That is the that is a that is a very generic band of name. <laughs> there's a very good chance I have listened to that band, but yeah. also that's like I say, you know, there's like a could be a thousand bands called Winter Sun.
0: Yeah, um you're not wrong about that. So uh Nablo scars they're an Australian band. They're like a progressive death metal ish kind of band, a little bit of everything. They have a violin player and two vocalists, which uh just immediately screams gimmick to me mm. and I'm sure especially to you. Mm. But I actually really like what they're doing and I think they're a very well composed band I was very impressed by their set so if you're into that sort of thing check them out uh, also just like a cool to have you know it's not a lot of bands from Australia that make it up this way so that's kind of cool um, and then Winter Sun is sort of a weird one they're, they started off so you've listened to the band Zifferum. Perhaps yep folk you know folk melodic death metal Finnish kind of guys so it's the guy who was the singer and guitarist for and this was like first two albums and he he left and started Winter Sun mm-hmm. and one of those bands you know this phenomenon when it comes to any kind of band not just metal bands where like this band gets made and they bring out this first album that's just monumental you know just huge mm-hmm. very important you know influences a ton of people just a, a masterpiece that's sort of what this band did Winterson Brown this album their first album uh, the self-titled it is a beautiful piece of of art for me um, in the way that melodic death metal can be art (laughs) Uh, particularly as sort of like a folk influenced black influenced version of that Mm -hmm. and the guy who because his name's Yari he's kind of a weird dude and he was like alright we're gonna put another album and it took 8, 10, 12 years from their album to come out and it's like it's okay and then yeah. they put out another album And it's like It's okay And you hear all these stories About how You know Not difficult he is to work with As a person in the band But more just that With the label He's expecting all these things And uh, A little bit of Too big for his britches I kind of think uh, But one thing that I think You would find interesting is Because you're a guitar player
1: Mm-hmm. Could, do you do You you don't sing at all right You're not you're, uh, You Uh I Certainly wouldn't call it My primary skill set <laughs>
0: Anyway, he, he is, like, you know, guitarist and singer for this band. And he's used to talk about how touring was very difficult for him because it's a very guitar-oriented sound, you know, lots of mm-hmm. sweet picking and just crazy, you know, solos and whatever else. And mm-hmm. I saw them once in the past, and, you know, you're just... When you're that person, when you're the front man guitarist and singer, you're kind of stuck behind the mic because, you know, you're sort of... You're tied to it because you're singing to it, mm-hmm. unless you're going to wear, like, a goofy headset and you're also like focusing on being a good guitar player. And they made the choice to take him off lead guitar. And he's now just the front man that sings. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you what, what a world of difference. I mean, it was like watching a different band because mm. he's a really good frontman. He's a little goofy in like a, you know, Devin Townsend, kind of like goofball kind of way. Uh, but finish Like a, a very <laughs> like European Sort of like I'm a goofy guy Who like thinks metal Is really serious But also kind of goofy um, But I, I was curious Your opinion of like m- For a person who This this band is like His pet project Right? Like this is his life How would you feel If like that was You in that position To be like Making that decision To be like You're not gonna do Two things You put a lot of passion You're just gonna do One of them In a live setting Would that be hard
1: for you? I don't know. I mean, I think that the, you know, the live performance piece and the songwriting recording piece, you know, every, every musician is going to weight those things differently. And, um, I think that, you know, if, if he's a guy who, you know, really feels like, you know, for me, it was about writing this music and kind of birthing these songs and i'm come i'm i feel good about like you know my performance on the record being a template for how these songs are supposed to be played and then to hand off the technical piece to somebody else so that i can focus on this other thing like i don't i don't think that's um I mean, that seems reasonable to me. I, I mean, and, you know, back when I was in the band, like I, you know, I really liked recording, but there were times where for expedience sake, if I was just, you know, and this was rare in Pandas where Connor and I, Connor being the other guitar player, where we would essentially play the same thing. But if there was a moment in the studio where I was trying to double his playing and something wasn't just clicking, like I would just hand my guitar to him and we would knock it out. And like, I don't feel bad about that, you know, because it was because I think that when you're in a band, when you're making a piece of music, this collaborative thing, or even if it's not collaborative, even if it's just you, the the work is is the bigger thing. So you having to like hand off a little bit of control in service of the greater work. I don't think that's a hard decision. I mean, obviously everybody approaches things differently. And, and this guy where, you know, this, this project really seems like it's kind of really his thing. Maybe, you know, he, he feels differently, but I think that for most musicians, they, you know, they're willing to make some sacrifices of themselves in service of the, of the work.
0: Right. That makes sense. I um. I really did, like, truly enjoyed it. And it does allow for some, like, fun things he can do because he is, you know, multi-talented in that way. Like, it, it's a stupid, like, you probably roll your eyes, but, you know, a time when, like, they're playing some part and both guitarists stand on either side of him and he's, like, picking the one guitar and doing the fingering for the other guitar <laughs> for so a few parts. Dumb. It's, it's so I, dumb. I, I know you think it's dumb but like I don't know it's like in a live setting those things are kind of no, like No it's
1: fun I like, I like stupid tricks I like that sort of sort of stuff I do I also think that it's dumb like it's just so <laughs> stupid but I like stupid things like that.
0: That's kind of like what a live setting is for though right? It's like right. To, to, to see someone and see And what I always think about what I was thinking about just having this realization because you know we've talked about this in the, in the past before about how Yes, you get older, and I remember when I first met you. You were talking; I was trying to get you to go to concerts with me, and you're just like, "Yeah, I'm not gonna do that." (laughs) And I just didn't get it. I'm like, "Why not? This is awesome bands. Why weren't you going to see them?" But it's like, concerts are a lot of work. They are stand a long time, and they cost money, and you know, you never know what you're going to get. There's a lot of shitty people at concerts sometimes, particularly metal shows of certain varieties. And I get it now, and but I, I realize what I what I enjoy and get out of them is that they. Now when I listen to those bands I have a mental image in my head That mm-hmm. plays out too Which is fun Which gets me to The last show I went to Last night mm-hmm. um, I saw Asteroid and Zeal and Ardor Yeah And I've talked about Asteroid on the show before They're good Check them out They played a good set I'm not going to diminish what they did They all look like they're like 13 years old Which is Yeah Awesome But they're really really cool And played an awesome set But let's talk about Zeal and Ardor
1: <laughs> Let's talk about Zeal and Ardor
0: so this is a band that is near and dear to your heart, and I know you were very disappointed that uh you were not able to make it up for the show last night yeah, and that they was, are not coming your direction.
1: It was a show in Philly on a school night, so Yeah. Uh, and I, I I've I've used up a lot of my um a lot of my uh you know kind of Freedom points <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, leave Karen at home alone with the baby points this, in the last couple of months. So right. uh, this, this wasn't going to happen. But yeah, I, I'm very jealous that you got to see this band.
0: So Greg, why don't you describe what Zealand and Ardor is for the sure. audience? So
1: Zealand Ardor is a, I mean, they're touring as a band, but the albums are made by one guy whose name I'm not going to pronounce correctly. Um, I think it's Manuel Gagneau. Something that like sounds that. right. He is, uh, Swiss American and, um, biracial African American. And I guess Swiss, uh, so white. Um, and previously he was an electronic musician under the name bird mask, but he made this project called Zealand Ardor during their second album in like two years. And it started as a as a songwriting exercises exercise. He went to 4chan and basically dared them to, like, give me two genres of music to mash up. And somebody tried to troll him and said black metal and I'll use the accurate term, but apparently the racial slur term was what was used on 4chan. Uh, but essentially slave music, slave spirituals. So he decided that the best way to kind of say fuck you to this troll was to like do that and make it work and from that experiment became this musical project Zeal and Ardor which is a combination of um, slave spirituals kind of roots, blues music um, a little bit of gospel but essentially black music of the antebellum south and um and black metal really metal period like he 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 borrows from you know the subgenres pretty liberally but um but also and this is the part that's also intriguing to me is it's not just this combination of genres he's also developed this kind of alternate history concept that the music takes place in so that it kind of it's kind of music from an alternate reality where uh where american slaves instead of embracing the christianity of their um of their captors and their oppressors they embraced satanism and the occult uh and so this music is zeal and ardor is like that's it is the outcome of that alternate history and who oh boy uh does it work
0: <laughs> yeah and you know for me i listened to their first album and i was just like all right like i couldn't tell if it was a gimmick or not you know just like a little bit of like oh isn't this weird and interesting it did sound good and like the songs that put together i was a little, i was still a little bit like on the fence and the second album is is like you know a lot more the first one is basically just, like, an EP, more or less. second one is much longer. A lot of songs on it, and I, I really began to dig it. And I saw they were coming around, and I actually was still on the fence about going, and my friend convinced me, which I'm, I'm glad he did, because uh, it pushed me from, like, kind of talking and thinking about this band a lot to, like, I can't get them out of my yeah, head now. Yeah, me too. And, uh, I mean, the the performance was was really really amazing it, it 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 truly it expressed a lot it was a very intense performance this is the first time he's toured the states with his full band and you could tell that it meant a lot to him and I was a little unsure of if this was just like an art project to a guy who's just out there to make weird things or if it really had passion behind it and yeah it's got passion behind it because yeah. that guy is up there you know drenched in sweat, screaming his lungs out. Like, to the point where you're like, ooh, you should probably take it a step back, because you're probably <laughs> doing damage to yourself, just because of what I know about, you know, harsh vocals and metal. Uh Oh, it's really cool. He's got, you know, his two mics set up, where he can, you know, s- s- I guess, tune to different things and set different standards, where he screams into one, and uh, and uh even, you know, this, everything sounded way better live, which is already, you know, this the album sound fine, but... Yeah just the fullness because they have, you know, it's him and a bassist. He plays guitar and there's a guitarist and then the bassist. And then he has two backup singers. I will say that I, it would be, it would be more powerful if the two backup singers were like of African descent because he- them doing like, and like, they're, they're two very talented guys that he just probably knows and could work with. You know, I'm not going to like fault them or anything personally. They, they did a good job, but just There is such an energy about the band that when you hear, when you read about, you know, what Craig described as their point, the band is, especially after live performance, it's just, it's the horror and the rage of African enslavement in music form, is how it feels. You know, some of the lyrics and stuff like that lead to that. Mm -hmm. And, And it also very like melancholy sort of way, but in an aggressive way. And it's also really like damn catchy. Yeah. yeah, it's got kind of a, you know, a swing to it, and it, it's you know, the song they have a song called "Row Row," and it's you know not that different than like the "Row Row Row Your Boat" song, but it just won't get out Damn of your man. head I and
1: <laughs> fucking earworms all over that record,
0: and it, they're just phenomenal. I mean, and the crowd was a really diverse crowd of like people who clear not in the metal. I mean this this band really did make the rounds, and like they were praise in Rolling Stone and on Pitchfork and in different places you know lots of different places outside just like a weird avant-garde black metal band
1: yeah the, these guys are going to be the next band in the line of Ghost and Death Heaven to um, piss off metal heads because non-metal heads like it um, and because it's 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 popular and good but um, but there is something there is something special about this band, and um, I'm really excited to see what they do next.
0: Yeah, and I would recommend that if you're not a metal person, like just look them up because I had them on in the car the other day. And even Shay, who is like, no, I mean, there's a few things she can get into, but she was just like, I kind of like this band because like, there's like a Venn diagram with like a band like I don't know, Black Keys, where like yeah, it's a little bit like a blues rock kind of, you know element to this that you can and he's like a really good musician. I mean he sounded amazing live his voice was stellar. I mean just so awesome. And uh also I know another person is like, yeah, like uh this has been liked by non metalheads as well. Yeah. So I think they will they will make big waves in the next few years, especially if they keep putting out consistently good and better content like they have been. Yeah. So anyway, uh, I will be going to more concerts in the next few weeks, so we we'll probably get more long-winded explanations of why. <laughs> next week, I'm going to a power metal show, so we'll have a whole different thing to talk uh, about, but um, yeah, uh, I did, I want to tell you, Greg, that and this is not the right place, but you know, Def Heaven is coming to Baltimore in a couple weeks, so.
1: Yeah, I know. Uh, uh, <laughs> I think it's on a school night, though, so I might not oh. be able to make it. Yeah, what is it, like a 45-minute
0: drive for you? Come on.
1: Yeah, no, it's not bad, but uh, well, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Anyway, um, Greg, have you been like what have you been up to? I've been watching a lot of television, <laughs> okay, um, and and listening almost exclusively to Zeal and Arter for the last month, which <laughs> because again, it's like I listen to I'm listening to other things and it's just like scratching in my head, like you no, know, you you want to go listen to this again? Um, but uh, I've watched uh, a couple of shows that I think are worth talking about briefly. Briefly, briefly, Um, one is Castle Rock on Hulu, which is it's a supernatural, vaguely horror show, Um, but it is set in kind of a Stephen King pastiche universe, but not in a Stranger Things way of a tribute to Stephen King, but literally like executive producer Stephen King Mm. and Shawshank Prison from the Shawshank Redemption. It plays a central role in the story. And there's all these other strange little references and tie-ins to what may or may not be a broader Stephen King universe. It's kind of unclear if there is an extended universe thing going on here or if they're just winking and nodding to Stephen King fans. But it's generally very well done in the Stephen King style of things. Um, I think it's worth watching if you like Stephen King or you like horror or you just like interesting TV that tries to do something. Um, I think it suffers from a lot of the same problems you were talking about with Luke Cage, where, um, it kind of loses steam and meanders a little bit in the middle. Um, and it does something that and it's weird because th- this particular episode was one praised as one of the best episodes of the season. And I won't disagree that on its own, it's a great episode, but where it comes in the season where you have, you have all this ramping up action, um, and the mysteries are starting to unfurl and things are getting weirder and scarier and more supernatural. And we're building and we're building and we're building and then we have a huge cliffhanger. And then we have an episode where we go and we watch, um, uh sissy spacex character like travel through time via Alzheimer's, you know, where you just like completely walk away from all the action you just built up to to go and just do this kind of self contained little story um that's happening off to the side of the main action um and I feel like so many shows do that, and uh. Fuck you when you do it. Like, just don't do that, please. I hate it. And then it just... and then it's like, okay, cool. You made me wait an extra week to resolve the cliffhanger. Way to go, guys. Um, But anyway, it's worth watching if you like that sort of thing. It's it's very well made um, and. It's kind of like Stranger Things, but a little bit more grown up in that it's that kind of pastiche of things you know. It's got a lot of feel and vibe to it. Um, But yeah, Castle Rock. Um, I also watched almost at the same time on HBO Sharp Objects, which is just a limited series. It's one and done I when I would see the previews for this, I was like, I am not interested because it looks like Amy Adams goes back to her childhood country town to solve a murder. And I'm like, no, thank you. <laughs> Absolutely not. That seems so dull. But I started hearing all of these great things about it and I said, what the hell, give it a try. And it is, it is television done in a way that that is using storytelling techniques and visual techniques that are, that feel groundbreaking. There's nothing about them that is, that is necessarily unusual or different or truly groundbreaking, but you have not seen a television show like this. Um, It's, it's, it's very, very well done. And it deals with the central character, Amy Adams's character uh, suffers from mental illness. And since the show follows her um, and it deals with things like intrusive thoughts and the way that they will just rapidly cut in flashes of things that may be a memory, maybe a fantasy, maybe a premonition of something that's coming, but it does such a great job of making you feel that sense of unease and making you really understand what that character's world is like. Um, it's, it's, it's excellent. And um, the central mystery is pretty good as well. Um, really what it feels like is, this is what season two of True Detective should have been. Um, you know, a mystery that keeps you guessing, but is also an incredibly moving and thought-provoking piece of television. So go watch Sharp Objects it's really good it's on hbo but you know how to find things
0: yeah yeah okay that's interesting i think that uh she likes you know some crime stuff here and there she's really like to orphan black which i'm kind of surprised mm-hmm. she's really into that um but yeah i saw the preview for and i was like well it's again like, i had some reaction you're know, like oh generic crime story like not my jam so much but is can we go back to castle rock for one second yes um how ooky spooky is it's it? It's
1: not that ooky spooky. Okay. It's creepy, cool. Cool. but it's 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 more supernatural mystery than it is like ooh scary. Got it.
0: Uh these questions are very important for me, Greg. I you know, know that. I know, I know.
1: <laughs> you you get you get you get spooked real easy. And it's gonna be October soon. Ah, this is just it's too much. I know. Well, speaking of the things that sound ooky spooky <laughs> But really you're just dumb um, <laughs> in, in what has become an annual tradition for me. I am watching the first several episodes of American horror story before I inevitably say, with uh, the first couple episodes where I get the feeling of like, Ooh, I think they're going somewhere with this. I like where this is going. And then I get four episodes in and I say, what the fuck I'm done with this nonsense. So I've started that process again, two episodes into the new series apocalypse, um which is supposedly going to be include crossover elements from their two best seasons Murder House and Coven Coven being my favorite but um it's the world ends halfway through the first episode um and it's uh post apocalyptic but not in a like not entirely in a like nuclear fallout kind of way. Cause apparently the devil is also real and a major character. So the like, um, the weird cult that has like built the bunkers and everything like their hazmat suits have those like bird masks from that, like plague doctors and the, uh, middle ages war, but they're made of like clear plastic. Um, the production design is really good. American horror story always has a bunch of great actors, um, just hamming, hamming it all the way up. So I don't know, this movie looks like it's going to have a lot of Satan in it, not movie TV show. So I'm on board for that, but who knows how things are I mean, again, how many how many years have I been watching this show and having this exact same emotional roller coaster of? I think they got it. I think they found their balance again. I think this one's actually gonna be oh no, it's just stupid again.
0: I've always heard mostly negative things about that show but oh, yeah yeah it's uh, a it is a
1: it is it is it is a hot mess every year what why
0: why do major networks struggle so hard with these sort of things? I just don't understand like you clearly had something and then you just just like. You're, you're making a, a piece of pottery and it just falls apart in your hands, that's just what happens? I don't, I don't know.
1: I mean, American Horror Story is a special case because it, um, almost by definition, like the style of the show being an anthology and where every season having a different story, different setting, and it almost prides itself as to how much shit it crams into every season. And like season two asylum takes place in a insane asylum, oh. but also there's possession and also there's aliens and also there's a Nazi doctor and also there's a sex crazed Santa Claus and also, 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 and also. So like, that's the way they do this show. And when they do it right, it's, it, they manage to it's it's that it's, it's this high wire act and they made they just make it across but almost every season they just fall off halfway through like they just they're juggling so many different things and most of the time they don't even get anywhere close to where they want to be um so I don't again I don't know why FX keeps throwing money at this series because it's just every time it always has the same problems and makes the same mistakes and falls apart in the exact same way. Uh, it
0: kind of sounds like they're taking the DC approach to things. Just keep doing the same thing over and over again and wonder why it's not working.
1: (laughs) I don't know. I also think that there's something about this show that revels in its own messiness and, um, Just the the audacity of every season. I will give it credit for that. That like the just the audacity of. Yep, we're doing this. Yeah, Sarah Paulson's playing three different characters this season. Who gives a fuck? Like, um, I think that people give it a lot of credit for just being like so fully committing to being its own weird self. That there's something empowering about you know this show does not give a fuck.
0: Well, there is something that's good about that. I mean, that can push boundaries in different directions. Sometimes now you should probably care about like quality, but you know,
1: who's who's a judge, you know, they, they, every year they, 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 they go for it. I can give them that.
0: (laughs) Interesting. It's probably one of those shows where I could probably watch like a couple episodes and be interested in it, but uh, I don't know how, I mean, like, I think like it's pretty hard to make like an, a very ooky spooky like primetime television show, but I don't know. Could be it's, wrong.
1: It's not as uh, I, I honestly think Asylum was one of the only ones where they really tried to scare you. Otherwise, it's more just kind of theater of the absurd. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of gore and a lot of weird sex stuff, but I think it's more. Um, transgressive and absurd than it is like trying to give you chills. That's kind of how I always
0: interpreted it. Yeah. yeah.
1: The show really wants to freak out the squares.
0: <laughs> it's fair. It's fair. Uh, do you want to, do you want to quick hit of couple pieces of news before yeah. you look into the, the topic?
1: Yeah. I, I think just looking at the clock, I think our topic is going to end up being a two parter just because of, uh, of how, of, of how, of how timing is progressing, but I think that's good. I think I've just, so I feel like I've got a a sense of where it can split. Um, so just let me guide when we get there, but, uh, yeah, Greg, I'll always let you go. Gross. All right. So, um, (laughs) well before we talk about news, so I finished, is it disenchanted or is it disenchantment? It's disenchantment. Okay. I corrected
0: it because literally every time I say it, I always say disenchanted because that is what it probably should have been called because disenchantment is just a weird name for a show. Yes. So, uh, so I'm going to call it disenchanted from here on out.
1: Okay. So we both watched it. This is the new Netflix series from Matt Groening that if you have Netflix, they've been promoting it to you. It's the fantasy animated series. Um, that uh so i i i i powered through it i know you powered through it can we talk about it a little bit yeah yeah let's talk about it um why wasn't the entire show the last two episodes
0: i don't understand because the last episode i'm like we're going places i won't i still i still would probably only give those episodes like uh in the greater scope of like comedy and even animated comedy in the modern age like a b or a b plus yeah but most of the rest of the show was like a solid C minus at best. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, I once again, I think that the biggest thing that's and I understand why. I was talking about this with a friend of mine actually. But like science fiction and science is always been it's, it's a lot easier topic to deal with because science fiction. There's a lot more of it in popular culture. And it has stayed consistently relevant in a way that fantasy has not always been and probably still isn't to this day. Minus the flukes, and truly they are flukes because outside of Game of Thrones, what other, and Lord of the Rings, what other very popular fantasy properties are there that are successful and, you know, really play. I mean, there's things like Harry Potter, but in this sort of more, like... The more traditional... Fantasy, high fantasy. Say. High fantasy, or even... I mean, I guess you, I guess at this point, Sunrise and Fire is high fantasy. But, yes, like, clean, not urban, not modern fantasy. Um, so there's that, but there's just so much depth of Futurama in the references and you know, there's a little science fiction and a little science and there is just none of that in the show. And
1: I think the issue there is that, and you can even, I think it's clear because even if you look back at the Simpsons, especially when Matt Groening was more actively involved and you look at Futurama, it's clear that Matt Groening loves and has an encyclopedic knowledge of science fiction. Right. And. And, And
0: horror probably too. Yeah.
1: And, and the, so Futurama was in many ways, as much as it was a send up of science fiction, it was a love letter to science fiction written by a guy who loved science fiction and got it and understood it. I don't think Matt Groening Has I think the most fantasy he's been exposed to is maybe a couple episodes of Game of Thrones because there is so little about this show that has anything to do with its setting or does anything interesting with its setting or has anything to say about fantasy. It's just... Like, honestly... You could set this. You could set this program in a modern setting, and instead of a princess, she's the first daughter, and it's almost and 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 you almost have the exact same show.
0: Yeah, I, I was just thinking that sort of in that this, the Simpsons is sort of a you know send up, but also a love letter to sitcoms, mm-hmm. and that Futurama is you know a love letter sent up to fantasy or to science fiction. This really just could have been a modern sitcom version. Like, if this was just, like, New Girl, but Matt Groening style, it would have worked just fine. Right. And and it would be, and that would be, it would be fine. And you could probably even put more references, reference your more modern sitcoms as opposed to Simpsons, which with a little more of, like, the classic sitcom references, right? You know, like, idyllic family in the suburbs where you make it, you know, a bunch of teens in the city, right? Yeah. Because basically what they are is you've got a rebellious girl and a pining, you know, friend guy and then whatever the hell Lucy's supposed to be. Right. Um, Bender, the, the bad but boy. Different. Yeah. Bender but different. Or they're all kind of Bender but different. I don't know. Yeah. No, that's um, another
1: big problem with this show. I,
0: and it, the problem that I have with it is that I, I'm i willing to give a lot of leeway for a comedy's first season because oftentimes they can be a struggle. Although not often in the in the animated comedy realm. So yeah. I think of like Rick and Morty or Archer or uh, Big Mouth, like all pretty solid first seasons. Um, and I just think that if if they would have, if the show would have struggled because they were spending too much tr- time developing their characters and the comedy wasn't quite there, it would have been excusable. But emerging from this first season, I have no idea who these characters are. Or why they exist Or what their point is Yeah And that is a problem Moving forward Because uh, Once again Discussing this With another friend We were saying that You know Two or three episodes in You hit this point where You know They're kind of in the castle In the city And then they go out on this adventure. And you're like Alright Here's a stepping off point For the show Here's where they're gonna Go out and explore This really weird fantasy world And we're gonna get Really bonkers Yes Nope They go back to the city For most of the rest of the season And it's like right. Okay Like why are we even Doing this then
1: Right, right. It doesn't have, it doesn't have the like the epic quest element of tradition of of a fantasy where there's plenty of fertile ground there where you know each episode could be a, another weird little town they go through and this one's full of minotaurs and then you do a bunch of minotaur jokes and you move on but it's it's again and and it just it doesn't seem like anybody involved cares about fantasy enough to have anything to say about it and even outside of does it have anything to say about fantasy the show just doesn't have anything to say like the lead character oh she doesn't want to be a princess why doesn't she want to be a princess because reasons oh she likes to drink why does she like to drink because reasons it just i don't care about any of it 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 all is just very arbitrary and thrown together and, and it, it was a waste of, of, of good talent in a lot of places.
0: Yeah. Because there is like, you know, like I mentioned last time, like the landscape kind of big picture, uh, animation is great. The music is awesome. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of good voice actors in it. I love, you know, I don't actually even know her full name. The girl who plays Abby on, Broad City, like uh, you know, a lot of good people on the show, but I just feel like, you know, could it recover in a second season? Maybe it would be a a stretch for me at this point. Yeah, Uh, I, I guess I didn't like when they started to be a little more story focused. I was like, okay, like I could get into a little more of like. If you're not going to be funny, at least give me, like, a semi-interesting story. That's that's enough, I guess. Yeah. Um, like Where Futurama kind of did a little bit of both of that. I think I usually had a good story and was funny. I, I'll, I'll settle for half, I guess.
1: Well, yeah, that's the thing. is In the last two episodes, it really became... It started to be, feel more like an animated fantasy show that was also funny. Mm-hmm. As opposed to what it was trying to be, which was an animated comedy show that was also a fantasy setting. Mm -hmm. And when it, in those last two episodes where there was a plot and stakes and a threat and, you know, like, um, and it started to hint at a broader world and characters actually had motivations. Like I was like, Oh, this could maybe be something if they could make me care about it a little bit more. Um,
0: but and in the back, the back half, they committed to like, they, they doubled down on, reusing, you know, established side characters, which I think is something that like Futurama benefited from and mm-hmm. Simpsons benefit from. That like some of the the B tier and C tier characters are some of the most funny and interesting. And you know like the the prince who gets turned into a pig, um oh. like that character is hysterical.
1: That's Matt Barry, man. <laughs> and that's
0: Matt Barry. Like his voice is just it's it's gold it's pure gold. Toast
1: of London. Just watch Toast of London. It's the greatest um, it's the greatest thing.
0: It, but even like even like the the weird like guy who hunts demons exorcist bounty hunter guy like and like the the culture from the s- queen stepmother like they're starting to build a little bit of world and like I I like that you know I, I like reseeing seeing these characters and making this feel and even going back to the um the land of the elves like or whatever they are uh like seeing re those characters in that setting like it shows that like well you do care about some of the stuff that you're making so that's, yeah. that's good news but I just feel like, like I said, if they if they can kind of take some of the threads they laid and make it something better. But it is an uphill battle for me, yeah. at
1: least. All right. Now we can talk about some news. <laughs> and now we're in. Um, so Henry Cavill is essentially out as Superman.
0: Maybe. It's kind of unclear at this point because they sort of said like, ah, oh, no, he's not but he is, but he isn't. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I also don't really
1: care. (laughs) I don't, yeah, I'm kind of with you. I think that one of the, one of the things that has become clear in this, I was actually watching, um, Bob did a little thing about this and he really talked about, and this is really a, like a disillusionment moment where he talks about this, he talks about negotiating through the press, which Mm -hmm. is what is, Probably happening um, that either um, you know DC or Cavill, one of them is unhappy with the way negotiations are going. So it gets leaked that he's out, um, and that becomes a and you use that as a bargaining chip. Um, and we'll then the other right. And then what happens is you start getting rumors about Michael B. Jordan might be up for it. And he says, you know where that rumor probably came from? Michael B. Jordan's publicist. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, why not? Why not try to get attached to something like this? Why not get out there and get fans interested in the idea? And, um, and then he also talked about um, a lot of the mechanics of this and how it really... I mean, it makes all the sense in the world for DC to try to start over because nobody likes these movies and Henry Cavill is getting old and when you're looking at this, you want a young guy because you want to make a lot of these movies and, you know, especially, you know, you need you need them to be able to do the thing and at some point they get too old to do it. Um, so, and then he made another very interesting point about, his his argument is Affleck is out. It's just that he can't officially be out because of Screen Actors Guild rules that say you can't be fired while you're in rehab. Oh, so because I've also
0: in, heard he's officially like in Suicide Squad too in some capacity. Yeah,
1: I think I think I think that's happening. But um, which which why is that happening? Well,
0: yeah, Who asked I mean
1: for that? that's a that's a fair point, but <laughs> um. But essentially, we, there's some SAG rule that your contract can't be renegotiated or changed or something if you're in treatment, and he's in treatment. Um, so once that's over, then we, we'll probably hear another announcement. But uh, yeah, I don't really care. I mean, when they said that maybe they're just going to bring in Supergirl and focus on that, I was like, please, go in a... Di- just, Please, whatever you can do to wipe the slate clean of these bad movies, go ahead and do it. But other than just that interesting inside baseball of... Yeah. You know, this is is just all a part of somebody's contract negotiation, and none of this really means anything other than Cavill wants more money, DC wants to pay him less, and Michael B. Jordan wants to, you know... I'm sure he very much wants to get attached to a franchise. Who wouldn't? What yeah. young Hollywood actor wouldn't want to get on board with a five, six, seven, huge superhero deal right now? So, yeah, you're going to throw your name out for everything.
0: Yeah, I wonder, because they just said today, like, Supergirl is like, oh, they're they're looking to pursue, like, a, a 70s period piece. I'm like, why? Because like, <laughs> it works okay. for Wonder Woman. I guess. <laughs> Um, I guess that's the only reason I do wonder about this sort of thing because I think about like it does make you get a little jaded when you see these like quote unquote like fan movements to get so and so cast as so and so and you're like who started this movement exactly (laughs) like because like you know Brie Larson was a fan that was like a she or someone mentioned like, "Oh, it'd be cool, to be Captain Marvel," and then it was like a fan. It's almost like getting, you know, your, I mean, your marketing research, right? Like getting someone to do the work for you to have like a, a brand crusader is like even Henry Cavill and being Geralt from the Richer from the Witcher, like who started that idea? It's like, oh, it's this fan idea that he'd be great in the role. And it's just like, was it? Well, (laughs) it is interesting. And some of those things are cool. Like, there's some things that I think should have happened, you know, when they were like, when there was a big crusade to get Brian Cranston for Lex Luthor, I'm like, yes, give me Brian Cranston for Lex Luthor right now. But, uh, it is, it does make you get a little bit, you know, put on, like, make your eyes narrow of like, wait a second, who actually wants this to happen?
1: Yeah. And, you also, you also feel like, so I have a theory that, you know, so you know, every summer Lay's potato chips has some kind of contest of like, design our next stupid flavor. And then we get like five or six potato chips with like biscuits and gravy flavor. And it's always, oh, so-and-so from Milwaukee came up with this idea and we gave him $5,000 and put his picture on the bag. I have a theory about the way this actually works. Is Lay's has five or six flavors ready to go uh, because they've done all the research and knowing a little bit about the way that the packaged food industry works. It takes a long time to develop a flavor and to test it and to decide that it's worth putting out there. Um, So they come up with their five flavors. And then they do the contest and they get a hundred thousand entries, and you bet your ass that within those hundred thousand entries are the five they already had in mind. Look who we picked. Mm-hmm. So would it be crazy if I already knew who I was gonna cast as Lex Luthor and then I try to get a quote unquote fan campaign going for it? Yeah. And now everyone's really excited. And then three months later, guess who's playing Lex Luthor? It's your fan favorite, guys! Wow, aren't you excited to come see our movie? And, and
0: don't, aren't we a great company for listening to the, yes. what the fans wanted?
1: Yes. So I know that's a that's very cynical, but that has to be the way this works, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, at least at least some of the time.
1: Yeah. I won't yeah. say all the time, because
0: that doesn't always work out either. You know, and like some of those things ha- won't happen. But I mean, how many like fan campaigns has there been to have um, Nathan Fillion play literally everyone? <laughs> right, right. Uh, and they don't usually work out because I guess his publicist isn't cashing in on that. But,
1: well, also, I think that, you know, somebody out there has done the math and they know that Nathan Fillion isn't. Isn't isn't gonna sell out theaters. Like, right, right. I know nerds love him and he's good at what he does, but nobody's gonna go see, you know, the new Batman starring Nathan Fillion. It's not gonna <laughs> happen. Sorry.
0: Yeah. Uh but yeah, so speaking of Captain Marvel, yeah. this trailer yeah, that we watched.
1: What did you think about this one? uh
0: it's not a great trailer. Yeah. I I'm to the point now where I have so much trust in faith in Marvel that I don't even really care about trailers. I'm just like, yeah, it doesn't really matter. And honestly, like the black Panther trailers really weren't that great. The Man and the wasp trailers really were not that great. The infinity war trailers are pretty good, but I think that there was a lot of, you know, it's a lot to work with there and a lot to put behind it. There were parts of the captain Marvel trailer that were like, got me pretty excited. Um, you know, just like little, you know, because it was like very, very quick cuts of different things. And, but I will say that things I liked in particular, uh, well, I'll just say what well, I don't like. It, it was boring. Yeah. <laughs> it was generic trailer. It was, didn't really tell you anything, which in some ways is good. You don't always want to know the plot. But like, I liked watching Captain Marvel punch an old lady who's probably a scroll. Um, that was funny. I liked that uh, the de-aging on. Uh, Sam Jackson looks pretty good. Yeah, it does. Um, weird, like, uncannily good. Um, yeah. Even, even moving out of Uncanny Valley, just like, no, he's just 30 it's, years younger. It's,
1: it's weird because Karen and I just watched, um, like, the night before that trailer came out, Karen and I watched uh, Die Hard 3, which is 1995. So that's kind of when this movie takes place. So that's kind of the age. Samuel. So it's like... So then, seeing basically that age Samuel L. Jackson like, in this trailer, I'm like, whoa, holy shit, they got it right. Oh
0: man, spoiler for a future episode of your new podcast.
1: Shh, don't talk about that. It's a different thing. It's a different thing.
0: <laughs> okay. Um, uh, my favorite Docker movie, by the way. Really? Uh, uh,
1: you know, we got, sorry, can't go down that road. We'll, we'll talk about that later.
0: Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, and I also liked, um, some of the visuals were really cool. Like, her glowing and, and being mad. And the scene of her with, like, the classic... Her sort of, like, the, I guess now classic, like, Cree helmet with, like, the mohawk sticking yeah. out. I'm like, e- that's probably just for, like, a scene of the movie. But it still was just, like, a nice nod and, like, a cool, a cool character design. Um, I read an interesting thing from... I don't know if it was someone involved with the movie or it was a little unclear from what I the quick read I had about it that was if it was like someone who writes Carol Danvers or is writing for the movie or just a comic writer or what but they said that Captain America gets knocked down and stands back up because it's the right thing to do. It's like Carol Danvers gets knocked down and stands back up because fuck you. And I'm like, "Okay, like if that's <laughs> how you're taking this direction, this character, like that intrigues me." <laughs>
1: Yeah, I'm, so. I so I'm I'm kind of interested in her personal story and the way that they and I kind of feel like they were really setting that up in the trailer where they kept cutting back to like scenes of her as a kid and scenes of her like in the Air Force and then scenes of her as Captain Marvel, and I'm like, okay, I kind of like this a little bit. Um it feels like a slightly different imagining of what it means to be a hero because so many of the Marvel movies are what it means to be a hero is you're a cocky asshole, but then turns out you're good at things and learn to be slightly less of a cocky asshole, but you're still really good at things. Like, I feel like that's kind of the model and this is a slightly different take on that. Mm -hmm. And I'm interested in that, but there are other parts of this that are feeling way too Marvel for me. And I thought, I felt like we were onto something with, you know, sure. You know, you mentioned a couple of the trailers were kind of generic, but like the trailer for Thor Ragnarok was not. That's true. And Thor Ragnarok really felt like a different kind of movie. Um, not only in its tone, but in its visual style and Black Panther felt like a different movie Um, tonally, visually, sonically. And this feels like the most Marvel ass Marvel movie Um, from the costume design to the, just the imagery to the, you know, um, just the way the trailers cut together. Like I'm just so over that like the Marvel style of movie making, not necessarily the characters, not necessarily the stories, because I don't know enough about this character, the story to say, but it just, it looks so marvel and it sounds so marvel and that there's just nothing left interesting about that after getting, I mean, like after infinity war, you know, the culmination of all the Marvel, 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 the most Marvel ass Marvel thing you can imagine. Um, And I was kind of hoping that now it was going to, going forward, it was going to be, things were going to be more stylized. And this does not have any feeling of style to it at all. And I know it, it's supposed to take place in the nineties, but other than like, Hey, remember blockbuster video? Like there's nothing about it that felt like the 1990s. And I know that's a tough thing to do with, you know, a two minute trailer, but I was just, like you say, I was just kind of bored. I was like, uh, like I can, yeah. I can already just just by watching that trailer, like I already kind of feel like I know I've seen the movie and I didn't like it.
0: <laughs> yeah, I get the feeling of that. I, you know, I think that there's hope that it just like was a bad trailer because yeah. I'm surprised they didn't double down and go a little more of like a like, you know, play some nine inch nails or like whatever. You know what I mean? Like they kind of did that with Guardians and with Thor, especially with characters that are a little like what I would say, like riskier. Like, yeah. This is a risky character. This character, I mean, outside of probably Guardians of the Galaxy and maybe Ant Man Black Panther, like, most people know that, like, there is a Thor of some kind, and that, like, Iron Man is a comic book hero. They might not know anything about past that, but, like, the name rings familiar. Captain Marvel is a relatively, especially this version of Captain Marvel, is a relatively new hero. Yes. The newest that they're referencing. I mean, Miss Marvel has been around since probably, what, the 78, maybe early 80s, but her as Captain Marvel is, like, a 2000s, even maybe 2010s thing, and I'm glad they're not just sticking with something created in the 60s. That's, that's good, but, for a lot of reasons, but, I feel like, in the past, when they had something something to prove, they needed to, like, do something different. The Guardians trailers were very weird and different and fun. The Thor Ragnarok trailer, they had to sort of redeem that character, so they made it weird and fun. Where this, like I said, it did feel very, very marvel in a way that I, I don't mind, because I think it's at least at, you know, the worst thing, call it, is, is like, consistent. Yeah. In the way that, you know, well... I'm probably going to enjoy the movie in the way that I've enjoyed. The worst Marvel movie is still fine for me in most cases. Uh, the best being, you know, really great. But I hope it is in the upper category. But if it's not, uh, oh well. I hope it is because I think this is an important character. And they, they definitely play said they're going to put her front and center for a, a couple, at least a big chunk of the next, you know... Phase or whatever they're going to call the next area of Marvel movies. But yeah, the trailer was disappointing. Um, I just think there's a lot of different directions they could have gone, and they kind of just they kind of just played it really, really safe and just split the difference, which wasn't a good way to go.
1: Yeah, agreed.
0: The last thing I just want to come up really briefly uh, was this announcement that they're like this rumor or whatever is going about, like these Marvel TV shows mm-hmm. on the streaming service particularly of which they've said that the two that they're entertaining the idea and courting the actress for is a Scarlet Witch and Loki show shows. We don't really know what context, but it's like them being those two characters, Tom Hiddleston and um, uh, Elizabeth Olsen, um, playing their their characters on TV as opposed to the movies, which would be pretty much the first time that's happened in – comic bookery shared universe-ness besides the you know Sam Jackson cameo and very early in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. which they didn't obviously commit to that structure moving forward Uh, to actually have these characters play on TV as opposed to the big screen and you know sort of graying that area between movie and television which I which I've been saying needs to happen and is going to happen for a while what's your thoughts on this?
1: I mean, I guess it depends on the format. I'm more interested in Loki than Scarlet Witch because I think that, you know, having recently gone back and and read um, Neil Gaiman's Norse mythology um, and, you know, that reminding me of, of all of the kind of the traditional Loki stories where um, the structure is always... Loki gets himself into some crazy scheme or he gets himself into some like impossible scenario, comes up with a crazy scheme to get himself out, thinks he's so smart, but his crazy scheme ends up biting him in the ass in some vaguely poetic monkey's paw kind of way. That's the structure of a Loki story within the source mythology. That's tailor made for an episodic TV show and it's a great little rhythm and something where like loki's a lawyer or you know because you you would have to you couldn't make it a high fantasy show because i don't think you'd have the budget and also that's not the kind of situation i want to see loki in it's always some nonsense where he has to run some errand for odin but is lazy like that's the kind of thing where you know it's going to be fun and I feel like I would like to see something like that because, you know, Tom Hiddleston, I mean, nobody's had their fill of Tom Hiddleston as Loki. So give me scenarios where he can just do Loki stuff all the time. Um, I like that idea. And I also think that just the character of Loki, again, going back to the mythological roots, works better in smaller self-contained stories rather than two, two-and-a-half-hour movies. You know, give him an hour to do some stupid thing. We all have a good laugh when we go home. Um, Scarlet Witch, I hate that character in the movies. I think... She, I, look, it's not Elizabeth Olsen's fault. She's doing the best she can, but they're not giving her anything to do... anything to do. Um, I'm not interested in seeing her, like, m- mangle that made-up accent for an hour at a time. Her powers are... Just vague and boring. Uh, I'll 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 pass on Scarlet Witch, but a Loki show I would watch.
0: I'm curious if maybe um, there wasn't some you know this is a rumor you know as we know it's like some crossed wires, and I wonder if they aren't looking to do a combined show and doing some sort of like weird magical you know like <laughs> pair up, which I don't think those two have a lot of chemistry together. Like, from a conceptual standpoint of them both being, like, magic-y, I could see, like, doing something in that direction, but uh, I'm not sure. I mean, they did say it would be, like, small, like, six to eight episodes, which is, hey, I've that's, been saying that that's over the last right shows. Number. That's the right number. Like, do that, and obviously makes it a lot easier for scheduling and for budget, and all these things that, you know, I'm really, you know, we're hearing about how much money. I'm just, I am shocked to set a broader commentary commentary I'm just, like, how much money some of these studios are dumping into television for their streaming platforms. I mean, they're talking about this Star Wars show costing upwards of $100, $120 million. Like, this show getting, you know, they said this show would have, uh, you know, blockbuster-level budgets behind it and you know, let alone Amazon dumping a billion dollars into the three body problem and all these different things like what are we doing? Like what bubble are <laughs> we living in where like they're just like I mean, I guess it's just this is this what is this like late stage capitalism just like all these a bunch of nerds are in power and they don't know what do all their money so they're just gonna make things they like? I, I don't know. Like what are we what are we doing? <laughs> but I mean, I'll enjoy it.
1: Well, I mean, I think that clearly the business model is shifting towards television. For whatever reason, I'm sure somebody, I mean, I think it's, there's probably an argument to be made that there are economies of scale that once you've done, built all the sets and all the costumes um, and hired the actors, you know, that shooting um, shooting for 10 hours of content isn't five times as expensive as shooting for two hours of content it might only be three times as expensive so right. theoretically um, you're there there's there's a different economics involved so that maybe you know television is just a more economical way to do this or you get more bang for your buck Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm fine with it uh, for the most part, although I feel like a lot of the things that are television shows or streaming shows maybe could have been a movie. Um, I think a lot of these Marvel Netflix shows, like really if you boil it down, you're like, yeah, this maybe could have been a nice two and a half hours. We could have been done here, Punisher. Um, I mean, I like that show, but I also feel like you probably could have done that in two hours, um, so I don't know what's I don't know what's happening. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm happy if they want to keep bringing and just me selfishly with my lifestyle, what it is right now. Yeah, bringing stuff to me on my television that I can watch on my time is a hell of a lot more appealing than you know. Well, uh, it's going to come out this weekend, and you've got a. Carve out two and a half hours of your day to go see it, and it's going to cost you $15. And you're going to have to sit next to strangers who might talk. Like, yeah, I would much rather prefer the thing to come to me. So,
0: I, I yeah, I, I sometimes I'd like to like sit down and like just try and understand the economics of streaming services because at this point, I just don't like, I don't understand how Netflix makes so much money because, like, it's a very Inexpensive thing. And I know that, like, everyone and their mother has an account, which, you know, is a lot of people in the world, but it just still doesn't seem, when you compare it to, like, all the money in advertising in regular TV or the money you see that movies get in the box office it, it, and, like, subsequent, you know, uh, royalties on action figures or whatever else. I just, it, when I see, when I go on Netflix and I see, how many goddamn shows they have that they've made I mean dozens it seems like every day like there's like just like 12 more on there I'm like how, what are all these shows where they come from and like the fact that that's happening across five or six different streaming platforms I'm just very confused about it it's probably just like my own you know lack of education about it but it's just so, confusing to
1: me well and part of that is not every show that is a like quote unquote Netflix show started with you know netflix taking a pool of money and throwing it at a production company a lot of these shows already had you know significant investment a production company invested in the show made the show or made a pilot and essentially netflix is has become a distributor so netflix isn't isn't paying every every dollar of every show's production cost Some of that is going to be paid by, you know, whoever dreamed it up in the first place and then sold it to Netflix. Um, So, but also if you think about it, like the price you pay a month for Netflix is about the price you pay for a movie ticket. And you're basically paying to see a movie every month. And that adds up. We're all paying $150 a year or so to Netflix. And that goes a long way (laughs) thinking about how many subscribers there are. Yeah. So Marvel is continuing to do what they do with, you know, only selling me one or two tickets a year. Netflix is selling me 12. So.
0: Yeah. It makes sense. I guess it's just, it isn't like an economy of scale kind of thing where, and obviously you can be a lot more risky because you've got a lot more cushion and it's just very, uh, very interesting, I, and I wonder what that... Obviously, the subscription model is infiltrating broad strokes of our life at this point. Yeah. yeah, It's interesting. I don't know. Anyway, we won't linger on that too long, I guess, but anyway, I, I'm curious for them. I wonder what the shape of this Disney streaming service is really going to look at once they build it out. I think it's supposed to come out late next year, early 2020. Is that what they're saying?
1: I or, don't know. I lost track I of that thing.
0: Yeah, but... Uh, yeah, so who knows, but so we had big
1: plans for this episode. <laughs> we, um, huge plans. This episode actually has, well, what we thought this episode was going to be actually had more preparation, um, than anything we've ever done so far. <laughs> um, <laughs> but we were planning to just like talk about, you know, stuff we like and news for like 15 minutes and then we we're going to talk about this big thing and then all of a sudden an hour and a half had gone by. So what we're going to do is we're going to tease what that thing is and then we're going to record it next week and put it out next week um, because it's something we've been wanting to do for a long time and actually had a fair amount of simulation that we did to make it work so we have been behind the scenes uh we've been grappling with the idea of villains and evil in fiction so we embarked on a pretty cool project to explore that and we want to talk about that um and we want to talk about what is the difference between a villain and an antagonist and is the kind of evil that you see in genre fiction is that even possible in the world and what does all of that mean for storytelling in general and how the characters of villains which you know are often the most interesting and characters in fiction you know Darth Vader is the coolest part of Star Wars and the Joker is often more interesting than Batman and these villains are such a big part of all the fiction that we enjoy um and we really want to unpack that whole thing but in order to give it the time that it deserves we're going to have to wait another week to talk about it
0: yes and so Dear listener, you should think about some questions as you go through your work day, as you want to do. Uh, Think about what your thoughts are on the nature of villainy. The nature of evil. Both in the context of fiction and genre fiction in particular, but also in the real world. What is a villain in the real world, and how does that compare to a villain in Spider-Man? or in aliens or you know whatever else you're thinking of right so uh, trying to as I'm sure Greg would argue that m- most fiction is trying to tell you something about the world and what is the role that villains and evil what what role does that play in that message
1: so stay tuned for that we promise we're gonna do it <laughs>
0: Yeah, we will do no news and no recap next week. We promise.
1: Swear, swear to God. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So that's the plan. We're going to do it. We're going to get this villain stuff, this evil, this deep dive into the dark heart of humanity out of the way, and then Andrew's going to get married, and then we're going to do other stuff.
0: Yeah. And I have a recommendation, Greg. Oh, okay. Um, there's a cool podcast that I haven't checked out yet. It's called 1995 uh, the podcast. Uh, this is a podcast done by uh, you know a veteran podcaster and his wife who is a veteran internet uh, personality talking yes. about movies that came out in 1995, correct?
1: <laughs> yes, yes 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 yes. Um, so my wife Karen and I uh, started a, a little podcast called 1995 the podcast where, um, it was really Karen's idea. She realized that so many movies of cultural importance or cultural interest, I guess, uh, came out in 1995. So we pick a movie from 1995. Uh, some weeks she picks a movie, some weeks I pick a movie, um, sometimes it's a movie that one of us has seen. Sometimes it's a movie that neither one of us have seen, but we kind of go in blind. We talk for a little bit about like what we think we know about this movie or what we remember about this movie. And then we watch it and we talk about it. And sometimes movies are not as good as you remember them.
0: <laughs> so we got a couple of like this. our, kind of like a room episode we did as yeah. the format. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
1: So, um, so we have a couple, um, We got a couple episodes out. um, We're, you know, and and there's more on the way. So if you like the way I prattle on about movies, um, uh, and uh, then you should listen to that podcast. It's available wherever fine podcasts are sold, called 1995 The Podcast.
0: And uh, I mean, I was under the impression that you you guys were, were going to watch every single movie that came out in 1985.
1: We'll see if we get there. Luckily, it's a closed <laughs> list.
0: <laughs> That's true. It's a finite amount. Um, I would like to see you dive into some deep cuts from 1985. But uh, I um, I have not listened to it yet. But now that it is recently available in easily accessible format, I am downloaded them, and I'm excited to listen because you guys have already tackled. Two movies that I find interesting, and uh, I, I find I, as I was looking at a list of movies from 1995 today, I was like, "Wow, you're right! A lot of really important movies came out in 1995." So cool. And uh, Karen is Karen is funny. Yeah, that's that's also true. I mean, it's the '90s after all, as we've said many times. So well, all right, guy. Thanks for the plug. Well, you know, I'll
1: do what I can. Yeah. All right. Even well, though
0: you're betraying me, no, I was
1: not betraying you. you were very busy and and karen and i watch a lot of movies anyway so it was like (laughs) no it's good i like it it's fun all right all right right, guy well i'll see you next week when we'll talk about satan evil all right guy (laughs) (laughs) later see you